Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we're going to be talking about a sermon, okay? So I'm, I'm kind of enjoying these. I get these sermons that will either be sent to me or they kind of pop up in my feed in YouTube or something like that. And so when I went across one that is like, you know, I think that is especially well put together, well thought out or, or something like that. I would just want to go ahead and share those with y'all. So this one was delivered by Pastor Jeff Durbin. So if you don't know who that is, he is the teaching pastor and elder at Apologia Church in Tempe, Arizona. So Apologia, some people say Apologia, but when Jeff says it, he says Apologia. So that's what we'll go with. He also has a radio program on KPXQ, which is called Apologia Radio. And he has a podcast titled the same thing. That's actually how I found Jeff Durbin was because somebody suggested his podcast to me. So this guy was in my Sunday night jujitsu class and he just goes, man, with the stuff that you listen to and stuff that you like, I think you'd really dig this. So I thought that that was really cool. And then I started to pick that up. So I actually mentioned him in an earlier podcast. So the one about Andy Stanley, whether or not he was a heretic, because I was not terribly a, a big fan of how Jeff Durbin was handling that situation and how he was being critical of Andy Stanley. I thought it was a little bit unfair, but you know, you can't agree with everybody. You can like somebody and not agree with everything they do. This guy's also a world champion martial artist. I think he's, uh, he's I think he does karate. He's a fifth degree black belt, which essentially means he <laughs> can't do anything if you take him down. So there's my little jujitsu joke. Don't hate me karate people. It's how it goes. But here's the thing is he traveled all over the world doing karate. So he was doing like these, you know, different demonstrations. He was part of like the Mortal Kombat World Tour. Like he did stuff while on television with Ninja Turtles and in video games and all that kind of stuff. So he was a very accomplished guy. But while that was all going on, he was a severe drug abuser. He was abusing drugs pretty much all the time. And it almost killed him. He almost overdosed and died. So he overdosed, but he, he almost died. And so during all this, while this was going on, uh, as the story goes with him, and I'll put a link later to uh, a story where you can actually hear him talk about it, but essentially he prayed to God to save him. You know, if there's a God out there, save me type of a thing. And that's exactly what happened. You know, he, he didn't die. He didn't pass away. And he dedicated his entire life thereafter to serving God. So this is a guy who became a pastor, a very fiery pastor. He's done a lot of public debates uh, against atheism and things like that. And he's he's not been without his controversy. He's kind of known as a, a little bit radical in some ways. I don't know that radical is really the, the most apropos way to, to describe him. But uh, he's known for his constant fight for the unborn and for reaching out to Mormons directly. Like if you go to their, uh, YouTube page, just Apologia Studios or Apologia Radio. I think it's Apologia Studios, their YouTube. Like he's got stuff where he's he's just going after the, the Muslim, or not Muslim, excuse me, the, the Mormon community, talking to these people directly, trying to help them out because, you know, a lot of people just assume that Mormons and Christians believe the same thing. And in some ways they do. And in some very, very cornerstone ways, they certainly do not. But, you know, there's also been some controversy over his street ministries that he's done at abortion clinics, at abortion mills. And so he's just the type of guy that he's just like, look, people are being murdered inside this building. They're being dismembered. And I certainly believe that as well. And so he's not just going to sit idly by and, you know, put a cross in his front yard, you know, during the March for Life week or something like that. And I'm not dogging on that, but he just goes about things a little bit of a different way. So this sermon was delivered as a keynote address at the 2014 Ignite Conference. So this is a conference for a lot of young people that are in ministry and, you know, a lot of concerts and different things. And the subject matter he was given was he was asked to talk about proclaiming the gospel. So yeah, pretty big subject matter, pretty important subject matter, but that's what he was uh, asked to talk about. So the YouTube title, so the title of this actual sermon uh, on YouTube is The Sermon That Shocked Everyone. 
unforgettable ending in all caps. And so it was just kind of like, all right, that seems like a little bit hyperbolic. I don't know if this is like a real thing. It seems kind of clickbaity a little, a little bit like that. And so I was skeptical whenever I was going to watch this sermon. But the thing about it is as of the recording of this podcast, it has around 2.5 million views on YouTube and it's a sermon. So first of all, that grabbed my attention. But also if you look at the other videos on their, on their webpage or on their YouTube channel, you don't really have anything close to that. I think the the one I saw that had the second most had like 600,000 or 700,000 views. So this one just far exceeded the others. Um, and so the thing about this is whenever I go over these sermons, I don't want to sully your experience by telling you anything up front. I want you to watch it on your own first. It'd be like, imagine going to see a movie that you really, really wanted to see and someone like sets up every part of the plot for you, including some of the stuff at the end. That, that wouldn't really be something you'd want to do. You want to get you want to get into the story yourself and take out of it what you want to. So I've put the link to this sermon in the show notes. So it's it's a YouTube link. Or if you want to go and do it yourself, just literally type in the sermon that shocked everyone, unforgettable ending. Okay. And it'll bring up Jeff Durbin with Apologia Church and Apologia Studios. So I want you to go watch it. Go watch it right now and then come back here and I'll talk to you a little bit more about it. So ready, set, go. All right. If you just watched the sermon, welcome back. Thanks uh, for doing that. And if you haven't watched it, what are you doing? Go watch it. Come on. I already told you how to do this. So here's the thing. Let's go ahead and get into this sermon. So he opens it up as most sermons are opened up with a prayer, but he said something really interesting during the intro prayer. And and you may miss it if you aren't paying attention. And to be honest, a lot of times when I listen to sermons, I'll kind of skip past that intro prayer because I I don't know, it just doesn't, it's just kind of weird. But um, he says, "I, I pray that we can repent of our indifference to the world. And I really thought that that was a huge stage setter, you know, and I picked that up the second time I watched this, not the first time, obviously, because I skipped around, but repent of our indifference to the world. And then he starts really to hammer a lot of different points home. So I'm not going to give you the full spark notes of this sermon, but I am going to go over some of the higher points that I think you should have got out of it whenever you were uh, listening to it or whenever you were watching it. And also I'm, I'm open to anything else that you glean from it. Make sure to leave us a comment on any of our Facebook or Instagram posts or something like that. Send me an email info at undaunted.life. I'd love to hear what you thought about it, but I'm going to go and launch in here. So he starts the sermon off with Romans 1.8. And this is Paul talking to the Christians here, and this is Romans 1.8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. And that's what he focused on, the, the, the last part of that statement, which is because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. And so the big question that he asks here of the room at that time, and you know he would ask us the same thing, is what has happened to us? What has happened to us? And then he kind of goes a little bit further. He's just like, basically, the church is irrelevant in culture in the United States. And I guess we can say more from a macro view, the West, right? The West. The church is completely irrelevant when you look at culture. And he just kind of begs the question there, which is, is the gospel now no longer relevant? Have we become so progressive as a society that the gospel no longer, you know, pings in anybody's mind? And here's the thing is... He talked about how uh, the places in the world right now where Christianity is exploding is the places where there is the most persecution, like the highest level of persecution possible. So you think about China, where it's booming right now. You think about sub-Saharan Africa. These are places where people are not just accepting of Christianity. They're fairly militantly against it. Some as, as a government, like they are against the practice of this religion, but it's absolutely booming in these areas. 
And then he just talks about again how Christianity is just basically in retreat in the United States and in the West. And we've talked about that a lot here on this podcast. You know, when I went over the the new Matt Chandler book, Take Heart, it, it goes a lot into that about, hey, you know, Christendom, we're like in a post-Christendom society. And, you know, automatically you might think of that as a negative, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Now, then he kind of goes back into uh, the first part of Romans. So we, we talked about Romans 1, 8, but then he kind of starts going through verses 1 through 6. And so I'll read those to you here now. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And we'll go and pause here. He made sure to really point out that it was the good news of God. Like gospel means good news. But he was basically talking about how this is the gospel of God. Like, and you can't just glaze over that. So I'll, I'll start over so this flows, all right? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name along a name along all the nations, excuse me, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Okay, so the thing about the gospel, and he, he made this point, is we have a very weird sense of what the gospel is in modern Christianity and as modern culture. And he makes sure to tell us that Christianity, or specifically the gospel, is not just good advice. Like, it's not just a good suggestion. Like, it's not something that we should maybe just try out, right? And so he, he talks a lot about how, you know, kids today in, in kind of a normal secular educational system, we're being taught that we're descendants of fish, Right? Like the entire universe is just time and chance acting on matter. He said that. And he also is that, you know, we have the story of history on our side and we're sitting on it. So, so we have all these silly things that we're being taught in school, uh, regardless of the gigantic gaps in the fossil records or, you know, things that happen really outside of science where they couldn't even look at it. But we're sitting on the keys to history and the keys to all of future. Right. And we're just sitting on it. So he was really just lambasting us for our inability to really have an impact here. And the thing that he said that I really liked here around the kind of the first part of this sermon was, is that Jesus didn't come to make your life better. And to be honest, like that's, that's what I get from a lot, from a lot of modern sermons that I've watched. It's like, oh man, is Jesus like a genie? Like he just kind of gives us all the cool things that'll just put us part of the in crowd. Like and he made this uh, statement and he made sure he talked about it immediately after, but that Jesus didn't come for social justice only, right? Like he, he is the ultimate form of social justice, right? You know, we kind of live in this era where social justice or SJW, social justice warriors is kind of a negative thing, but like the ultimate social justice warrior is Jesus Christ because he did it properly. He didn't put on a stupid black mask and throw a Molotov cocktail through some window, right? That's not justice. That's being an idiot. But the thing about Jesus is he came for social justice, but he came to reconcile people to God. That's the only, that, like, that's the reason why he came here, right? The gospel message always, and here's the important thing, it always came with a call for repentance by Jesus because that's why he was here. He's here to reconcile people to God. You can't do that if you don't repent and turn towards him. It just doesn't work that way. And so the thing about it that I love how he pointed out about how we look at the gospel is we think of the gospel as just something that we add to our current story, 
right? We, we've got the normal story, but it's almost like this is the whipped cream topping of our moral relativist dessert thing that we got going on. We just add a little bit of the gospel, you know, but it's normally just the parts of the gospel that are easiest, <laughs> easiest for us to do, right? Easiest for us to just kind of work into what our, what we're already doing. And he, he begs another question here as he's going through this is, does our typical model of evangelism even resemble what's happening in the book of Acts? You know, he really hammered on Acts and he's like, go read it. You know, he's like, if you're going to go into ministry of any kind, you've got to read what's going on in Acts and then ask yourself, is the church that you're working for or wanting to work for, or just the church that you admire or the pastor you admire, is their type of evangelism even resemble that? Are they even trying to, to do something that's in that area, right? And I think for most of us, we can honestly say the answer is no. Because the charge that was becoming uh, very prevalent against Christians during the time that the book of Acts was written and the time it was all being played out is that, you know, they were, the Christians were filling up Jerusalem with this teaching. He made sure to talk to talk about that, filling up Jerusalem with this teaching. I mean, just think about us and any questions us here. Are we doing that in our communities? Just our communities, don't even look at the macro city, right? But just in our communities, in our neighborhood, in our network, right? Are we doing that? Are we filling up our communities with the teaching, the teaching of the gospel? And then he goes even further and talks a little bit more in Acts 9. He talks about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus whenever he became the Apostle Paul, obviously. And he just talked about something that, frankly, I had never really got uh, in my readings and study of this, but... Paul immediately went to Damascus and began arguing with Jews about the person of Jesus immediately after that he was, you know, changed and after Jesus became real to him and after he accepted him and repented of his sin. Like, that's like the first thing that he did. And as a result of his boldness, everyone wanted to kill him. Right? Think about it. You are going at the bedrock of people's reason for existing by challenging their Judaic practices. Right? But how many of us have faced that? Like how many of us have literally been so unbelievably, I I guess you could say incendiary or or annoying or something like that when it came to our proclamation, the gospel to where people wanted to kill us. Like I certainly have never had something like that. I've had people probably want to kill me for other reasons, but not because I was so annoying with the gospel and so persistent. You know what I mean? And another thing that Durbin did here in the sermon is he, he challenged our typical model of evangelism even further than he did earlier when I set that up. And he kind of came straight at the thing where it's like, you know, a lot of us think that evangelism happens because, you know, we have barbecues and we have fight nights. And, you know, the, the thing about that is that's kind of like our crux for what we do that, you know, we're going to create this environment that's going to seem so cool and that, you know, you're going to get invited into our clique and it, but only if you accept this Jesus guy, which people are just going to desperately want to do. And, you know, he kind of talked about how you could be someone's friend for years before you talk to him about Jesus and how, how backwards that is how you can spend five to 10 years investing in somebody before you even think to mention Jesus or, hey, you should come to church with me. And he just talked about how, you know, the barbecues and the fight nights, those are great, but those should be a natural overflow of the things that we're already doing within community, right? And I've heard of this a lot, and I think Matt Chandler was the first person to point this out uh, whenever I heard it. And it was basically like, have you ever actually heard a story of someone coming to Jesus? So when they're giving their testimony or however they describe that, where they were just like, yeah, you know what? Life was pretty good, but then I saw this group of people that just, man, something was different about them. Like, they just seemed a lot nicer. They they seemed to really care about my family, and they invited me to things. And then you know, I just thought, gosh, this Jesus guy must be real. 
just because be to be honest again i started going to church late in life you know i was already in high school by that time that's what i heard all the time like you know live it out and people want to be like you you know when things go wrong you know have, be positive and be chipper and wear a smile and all those different things but at the end of the day it was just kind of like no one's ever been like hey kyle or hey random person or hey you you just seem really happy where does that happiness come from we don't do that like that's kind of weird Hey, where's all your happiness come from? Have you ever even asked a question like that? So I thought it was good that he pointed that out. And he also just kind of made a declaration that I guess drew a line in the sand. He was talking about how we're not sick. Like as a people, as humanity, we're not sick. We're dead. And it's because of our sin. We're just dead. And again, coming back to the gospel, the gospel is the only thing that can save us, right? And so we try to fill it up with all these things. And of course, you know, I'm not going to basically elucidate all these other different sermons that you've heard before, but we try to do all these man-made things to, to be awesome and pleasing to God when it's just the gospel that we need, right? And he, he talked about this story around the middle where the gospel is not something that you just try out. He talked about this bumper sticker and all these things about how these people are just like, you know, basically give Jesus a try. Like, what a weird way to say that. Right. Just imagine if you had the cure for cancer and there's a five year old that that has this particular form of cancer that that you have the you have the antidote for them. And think about if you went up to that kid and their parents and you're just like, you know what? I think you should just give this a try. Like, obviously, that's kind of a polite way of saying it. But no, no, no. What you need to say is this is going to save you. You need to take this right now. Now, of course, it would, they'd be crazy if they didn't take it, but it is still their choice. Right. So it was just kind of framing how we talk about the gospel and how we present it a little bit better. Now, he, he kept going uh, on and he talked about Romans in Romans 1.16. So uh, you've heard this, especially if you're uh, a fan of the one one six click. And he really hammered this home, right? And it was this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, right? And he just really talked about that a lot, just the power of God for salvation, right? That's the gospel, that the gospel is not just a story that we hear on Easter. The gospel is not just a story that we skip over because we've read it 10 times before. Like it's the power of God for salvation. It's how we are reconciled to him. And then he spends a lot of time here uh, talking about kind of about, about mega churches. And I think this is really, really important and shouldn't be lost on us. And again, I try to say all the time, I'm not anti mega church, right? If you have a big church, that kind of speaks to maybe what's happening inside the walls, but that doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going well and everything's that, as healthy as it could be, right? And he made this declaration here that basically mega churches, big churches, they will do everything they can to keep people there. And we know this to be true. Even if you go to a mega church, right? You know this to be true. They will soften the blow of certain messages uh, just for the sake of numbers. They will not talk about certain important topics because they know it'll piss people off. They won't go into important topics that, you know, may be weird to hear about. So like spiritual warfare or how we should think about transgenderism or, you know, fundamentalist Islam. They won't go into those subjects because the next week they don't want, you know, you know, 70% of the people to come, right? And the thing he talks about the most is he talked about how Jesus won't soften anything. When Jesus was talking to people and as the numbers were growing and as his following was growing, he didn't soften anything. If anything, he became more rigid, right? And so he specifically talked about this, uh, about, you know, what's uh, written and recorded in Luke 14. And I'm going to read verses 25 through 33. So again, this is Luke 14 and verses 25 through 33. And I'm going to read it in the ESV version if you want to follow along. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, 
he cannot meet, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able, with 10,000, to meet him, who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, when the others is yet to a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Okay, that's not the message of a guy who just wants to get all the followers to keep coming, right? To get them to keep donating money, to keep donating time and volunteering. That's not the message, right? And, and the, the, the phrase that Durbin used in here was, Jesus was the master of church shrinkage, right? So Jesus would not have been considered a great evangelist, right? Just, just think about it in terms of, imagine a church that's growing, like that's almost bursting at the seams. And for the pastor to go up and say something like that, like if you if you love your wife you can't you can't like you can't be my disciple. Like if you put these people and these things that are important above me, that's going to be something that's incredibly difficult for you to do in order to follow me, right? And the the huge part of that is that if God loves us, and this is so important. So if you've tuned me out, I, I want to make sure that I make this point abundantly clear because I think it was very well laid out by Durbin. Is that if God loves us just as we are, we hear that all the time, just as we are then why do we need Jesus? Right? Oh, you know, God, he just loves you how you are. Come just as you are, right? We've heard we've heard that song in, in, in pews all over the planet, right? Come just as you are. Yes, come to him as you are, right? You don't need to do anything before you get there. But if we ourselves, as we are in this moment, was good enough, then we didn't need Jesus to begin with. And that's such an important distinction that Durbin makes here is that we had to have Jesus because just as we are was not going to be good enough, not by a long shot. And he goes even further, just talking about ministry in general. And he says, basically, if, if you didn't come into this, this being Christianity, the, the evangelical side of Christianity, then don't come. If you didn't come into this to, to die, then don't come. And it's an important thing to think about. Again, if we go back to my Book of Man podcast, it was one of the very, very early podcasts where I went over that book. You know, I went into some of the stories about these martyrs, these people that, you know, walked calmly to their deaths, some of them singing, you know, singing songs in praise to Jesus, you know, on their way to, to being ripped apart by, by bears or being split in two by horses running in opposite directions or, or you know, boiled in, 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 you know, hot oil or, you know, buried alive, you know, all these things. And they went there and they were okay because to them to die was gain, right? And and I think that's so important for us to think about is, you know, would we be willing to die for our beliefs? Like our very specific set out beliefs as predicated in the gospel. And that lends itself to another question that Jeff Durbin threw out there, which is, am I in love with comfort and being well received? Which kind of goes back to everything that he's about, right? You know, is he going to stand outside of an abortion clinic with a microphone that projects his voice to to basically beg women and and men not to kill their children, right? Would he do those things if he was really care like he really really cared about being well received? Like you can't imagine that everyone that came by and talked to him was really really happy about what they did. In fact, they they weren't at all. I, I kind of you know talk about that a little bit more here in a second, but. 
a lot of us, we live for this comfort. We do. Like we want to be well-received. We want to be well-respected. We want people to like us. We want to be invited to parties. But for the sake of the gospel, should that be the focus? Should that be the thing that we're, we're worried about? Like, are we in love with comfort so much that we're not going to have that awkward conversation that could help save a life or a soul, right? And, and the thing about it is it's such an important distinction for us as we begin to think about what it is that we're doing, right, as, as we move forward. Now, now the, one of the biggest things, and I think the main reason why this sermon caught on so much is because there was like an insane story about abortion. And this story starts around the 35 minute mark. So if, if you were, if you lost track, you know, early on to stop listening to it, go ahead and fast forward to the 35 minute mark and just, you just have to watch this part. Okay. Cause I, I could talk about it here, but I know some of you have cheated. You've gotten 25 minutes into this sermon. And you're like, oh, I'm going to, or into this podcast and you're going to be like, oh, I'll listen to the sermon later. So I don't want to ruin anything for you because there's like, it would be major spoiler alert territory, but just an incredible, incredible story about the sovereignty of G of God in, in working through humans. It's just crazy. It's just awesome. And then he, he ends it very well. He ends it by reading the lyrics to a song that a lot of us know, and it's Rise Up, O Men of God. And so I'm going to go ahead and read those to you here. Rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve the King of Kings. Rise up, O men of God, the kingdom tarries long. Bring in the day of brotherhood and end the night of wrong. Rise up, O men of God, the church for you doth wait. Her strength unequal to her task, rise up and make her great. Lift high the cross of Christ. Tread where his feet have trod. As brothers of the Son of Man, rise up, O men of God. And then he went into his final sermon. Okay, so just a great way to end it, especially after the abortion story and kind of all the stuff that, that happened there during that speech. But I want to point out a few things real quick that I noticed during this sermon. So they're, they're really, really kind of quick. But the first is that he's a really good extemporaneous speaker, right? Uh, a lot of times we see... Uh, see people that are just not really talented speakers, but they're pastors, right? So they maybe shouldn't be at the pulpit teaching, but it's just their role. And they're basically just reading their notes the entire time. They're, they're just, they have to have their notes in front of them. This guy just spoke like, and, and you know, he had to have main points. And I seem to remember him going back and looking, just glancing at his notes a few times, but really, really good extemporaneous speaker. And this leads into the second thing I noticed, which is this dude just knows his scriptures or not his gods. Like he just knows the Bible. Like he, he quoted so many scriptural passages and he quoted them perfectly. Like he didn't summarize them or, you know, change the wording a little bit. And ah, oh, you, you get the point. You get the point. He didn't do anything like that. He just knows his scripture. I mean, this is a guy who used to be a drug addict and used to be more concerned about his spinning wheel kick than, than anything going on in the old Testament. But he just knows what he's talking about. And the, the third thing I noticed was that the crowd really didn't have any idea what to do. This was either the biggest wet fart of a crowd ever, or they were just so confused because he was just blowing their mind at that extreme of a level, right? And so I don't really know which, which it is because there were some obvious jokes that, that he put out there that kind of got <laughs> some very little chuckles and stuff like that. But there were some things that he said that, I mean, I'm sitting in my office by myself and I'm like, man, I'm kind of getting like jacked up. I'm like, yeah, let, man preach it. Let's go. And, and nobody was really saying anything. No, there was not really any clapping. There was one point where he basically talked about how many souls they had saved from being murdered at abortion mills. It was like pulling teeth to get people to clap. It's like, 
Of all the times to jump up and go crazy, it's not when your team scores, you know, the final penalty kick goal in the World Cup. It's when someone says, yeah, um, this woman was going to murder her baby inside of her body and they decided against it. And now that kid's alive. <laughs> you know what I mean? A lot, a lot different type of a thing. So I want to move on here as we, we kind of get towards the end of my comments here. I'm going to talk about the three reasons that this sermon is important right? Every sermon is important to some, some way or another, whether it teaches us something or uh, keeps us from, from doing something bad or helps us avoid something. I, I get it. But th- these are the, the three reasons that I'm pulling out that this sermon is really important. And the first is, is that we have to be careful of the entertainment church phenomenon. So what do I mean by that? So I, I think some of you get it immediately, but for those, I need to like spell it out. It, there's a lot of people now that they leave church incredibly entertained, right? The music is incredible. They set the mood really well. The first two songs are upbeat. The third song is incredibly long and dramatic, and they sing the chorus 74 times in a row, and then they do the last song, and it's it's upbeat again, and then you're ready to go, and then they do the announcements, and the announcements are, are really squared away and super awesome, and then, you know, they dim the lights, and they have like a preview of the sermon, and then the pastor comes up, and he's just great, and he talks for 30, 35 minutes, and he's funny, and he's engaging, and man, I'm getting all this life advice, and gosh, that's all really good advice. We all pray and, you know, all those different things. And then you leave, you're super entertained, right? And to be honest, it's a great place to bring friends that are unchurched because, you know, they're really entertained and we are beings that want to be entertained. And I'm not saying anything is bad about anything that I just described at all. So don't misunderstand me, but we have to be concerned when the overwhelming majority of the people that leave that room entertained also picked up nothing. That was gospel-centered. Yes, there was mention of Jesus. There was mention of God. There was even some scripture that was quoted, right? You, you may have even shed a tear during that third you know, song that, during the praise and worship set, right? But did anything get you a closer relationship with God? Did it get you a closer discipleship with Jesus? Did, did it bring in you know, a better understanding of how the gospel can be like the overwhelming part of your entire life? I don't know that a lot of those things do that. And again, there's nothing wrong with being entertained. And I'm sure some people have entertained their way right into the kingdom of God, right? But it's something we really got to be careful about. Now, that doesn't mean you need to go to a church where every single person in the room is like a lay theologian and all those different things. Like, like I get it, but we have to be careful. And if you're at a church that you're very entertained by, but you're not developing any type of deeper discipleship with Jesus, you really should be concerned about that. And the second reason I think this sermon is really important is that uh, this was something that Durbin pointed out, but if we are not salt and light, then there is no salt and light. I thought that was a fantastic thing that he said. If we are not salt and light, then there is no salt and light. And so he's obviously making reference to what Jesus said as recorded in Matthew 5. This is verses 13 through 16. I'll read them here. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right? So this is Jesus' words now, that he's not saying that humanity is salt and light. You know, creation is salt and light, 
right? Because again, salt's a preservative, right? But it, it can only preserve if it's salty. He's talking to us. He's talking to the people of God. He's talking to the followers, disciples of Jesus. We have to be salt and light, right? The, the world doesn't have it in any other form. You don't get salt and light through the government. You don't get it through your girlfriend or boyfriend. You don't get it through any, anything like that. You get it from Christianity. You get it from Christians. You get it through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you get salt and light. And the third reason that I think this sermon is really important and good enough for all of us to watch and rewatch and send out to people is that a gospel, gospel-centeredness has to be present in our lives, right? We talked about the gospel a lot today because that's you know a big theme, obviously, of the sermon that we listen to. But gospel-centeredness isn't always present in, in Christians' lives. It's just not. You know, again, we kind of go back to the, if God just loves us just as we are, then why do we need Jesus? Again, we have to think about how the gospel is, you know, how it it precedes everything that we do. I think one of the best books I've ever read about this exact topic is the book Explicit Gospel by Matt Chandler. I've mentioned it, what, four or five times this podcast, but Explicit Gospel, that's on our book list at the 100 books every modern Christian man should read list. So if you want to see the rest of that list, go to undaunted.life backslash book list. There's my plug. But the thing about that book, it's like a top five favorite book for me ever. But you can't read that book or go through the study or any of the things around that 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 concept of the explicit gospel and think to yourself, ah, you know, I could probably do something else. I could do the gospel thingy, but I could probably do something else outside of that as well. Like there's no room for that. Matt Chandler does not leave any room for that. And probably because he leans on the scriptures more than just about anybody I listen to, right? He, he just heavily leans on that and the understanding that he's he's gleaned from that. So gospel-centeredness for us as individual men, it has to be present in our lives. Because again, we, we talk about manhood all the time. We talk about spiritual, mental, and physical resilience and making sure that we do those things and cultivate that on a daily basis. But the gospel precedes all that. I mean, it's even more macro than just talking about spiritual resilience. Because because guess what? Like, Let's say I was a Buddhist and I talked about spiritual resilience. Well, basically I'm talking about meditating to the earth. Or, or whatever it is they do. Because again, consciousness is not a real thing within the Buddhist thought, right? That the, the mind is an illusion, right? So just think about it as a Christian, as somebody that has a, a discipleship set up with Jesus. If the gospel is not the center of the things that we're doing, the decisions that we're making and the direction that we're going, then we're pretty much lost at that point. All right, guys, before I let you out of here, we're going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know by now, we are a men's ministry, and our mission is cultivating manly resilience, and specifically, we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So today, I want to focus further on spiritual resilience, kind of in light of the things that we went through here. So I have four things that I'm going to list here. So obviously, the very first thing is the thing you should have already clicked on and watched. If you're not a cheater, you should have went and watched this sermon. So this is a very shareable sermon. It's palatable for people that are not, you know, maybe new, maybe they're new to Christianity or people that are not new to it. People that have just, you know, their old hat with all this stuff, but it really is a solid sermon. But also I provided the link to Apologia Studios. Their website is just apologiastudios.com because there's a lot of people, they've got articles, they've got other videos, they've got the podcast and there's like, you know, you can pay extra and kind of get different types of access. So it seems like they put out a lot of good stuff. Again, I don't agree with everything that they've said or done, but I don't agree with any, 
like anybody 100%. So cool to go check out their website. Also, I provided a couple of articles that were written um, about Pastor Jeff Durbin. So the first one is, I reject your warning, pro-life pastor having none of this officer's unlawful attempts to silence abortion street ministry. So this was a, a really interesting video where he was basically within the confines of the law and two people that are supposed to uphold the law basically were trying to stop him from doing so. So it was really interesting to see how he was very stern with these people, but also incredibly polite. I, it was a, you know, example to me that, you know, in the future, if you get into a debate on, on a topic like this, and, and if any type of law comes into that, just a great way to comport yourself. And then the last article is here's why this extremist hipster pastor thinks it is absolute, the absolute best time in history to be a Christian. Okay. So in this one, there's like a little link there. It's got like a 30 minute video or something like that of him basically talking about the story of his life. And so, uh, you know, it kind of gives you a little bit of a, an understanding of, of his point of view, very similar to Matt Chandler's about how this really is a good time for us to be Christians and how we can be salt and light for the world. So I think if, if you take down all those four things and if you look at them and, and kind of dig around, I think you'll get some good stuff from that. So guys, as always, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play and refer your friends to listen. And then be sure to share this on social media. Make sure you use the hashtag UndauntedLife and we'll be sure to find your post and give it a like. If we deserve a five-star review, please leave us one. But also, don't just hit the fifth star. Go ahead and leave a quick review because basically you 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 mess up the algorithm whenever you write a few sentences in there. And so that'll keep busting us up to the top of this and we can keep getting this podcast out to people, okay? I'm also booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2018 and the beginning of 2019. So if you want me to come speak to your church camp or to your team or to your boardroom or to your Sunday school or your men's group, please just let me know. Hit me up, info at undaunted.life. Again, info at undaunted.life. Our website is www.undaunted.life and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music library for our content. The intro-outro track on this podcast is their song, King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links to all of this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.